Hey everyone, you're listening to the 107 podcast where we get together every fortnight and sometimes more often to talk about technology, business, and the humans in it. I'm your host, Ivan Stegich. In this episode of the podcast, Jeff Robbins of Yonder and 123 Astronaut. Jeff is an entrepreneur, co-founder of Lullabot, a design agency you may have heard of, and most recently the founder of Yonder, an advocate for remote work and an inspiration for leaders of distributed companies like my own all over the world. He's a business consultant and an executive coach, an author, a signed recording artist, a self-proclaimed philosopher, and in my opinion, an all-around nice guy. Jeff, welcome to the podcast. Well, thanks, Yvonne. Thanks for having me. I, I do have. I, ha- I want to start right off with a question for you, though. Uh, sure. What is a fortnight? Two weeks. Two weeks. Okay. Two weeks. It must be a British English thing. We used to talk about fortnights all the time when I lived in Africa. Yeah, no, we don't use that one too much. It shows up sort of in archaic writing every now and then. but uh, <laughs> Or maybe it's just British writing. I don't know. But uh, yeah, Fortnite. Okay. Yeah, no, I yeah. mean, I've, you know, I've heard the term, but I um, am embarrassed that I don't quite know what it is. But now I do. Now I do. Now, now do. I will start using it and people will feel uncomfortable around me <laughs> what a fortnight is so. well people might think you're talking about the video game or they might think i was british or well they might <laughs> <laughs> well i'm so excited to be talking to you jeff um and usually i start out by asking about where life started for you so i know you live in providence rhode island is that where life started for you as well well i grew up in connecticut uh so in the grand scheme of things not too far away uh, still Southern New England. Um, yeah, I don't know. Um, that's where life started for me, at least. I, I lived there through high school and then moved to Boston again in the grand scheme of things, not too far away. Uh, but at the time it seemed pretty significant, uh, and, uh, lived in Boston for, as I say, most of my formative years, um, and then uh, moved to Rhode Island uh, right around 2000, something like that. So that was where you went to college was in Boston? Yes. I went to, I went to many colleges and universities in the Boston area. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, I know you studied liberal arts and music, right? Well, yeah. I originally went there to go to Berklee College of Music. Uh, and after a semester at Berkeley, I realized, like, there's no way I'm going to finish at this school. And so I took all of the classes that I thought would be sort of important to me actually, you know, pursuing uh, a, a, the musical career that I wanted to pursue. I took a whole bunch of, like, you know, music business classes and stuff like that. And then uh, uh, I bounced around. I went to Emerson College for a while and um, took some classes at Harvard Extension School and um, but eventually um, found a job uh, doing um, technical illustration work uh, um, using a program called, uh, what was it called? Freehand, uh, which w- was sort of the, the competitor to Adobe Illustrator, What's what we call, what we now call Adobe Illustrator. And eventually the companies all merged together and they all became sort of the same thing. Uh, but I, I, I started working for O'Reilly... We we now call them O'Reilly Media. They were called O'Reilly and Associates in the early early nineties. Oh, I remember uh, that. Yeah, and um, 
and doing technical illustrations for their books. I mean, this was pre pre web, um, and uh, started sort of. They had, you know, really good internet there, uh, being technical people themselves and writing technical books about technical things. And so I sort of discovered FTP and a, uh, a, a, a sort of lost technology called Gopher. Uh, yeah, which, which yeah. was invented in Minnesota. Yeah. Oh, yeah. In fact, actually, many of the FTP sites, the, the, at least one of them uh, was uh, uh, in at the University of Minnesota as well, now that I think about it. Um, you know, where you go and download open source software and, um, stuff like that so that you could, basically you just download other FTP programs. (laughs) 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 Eventually you can use FTP to download Gopher and then use Gopher to download other, but go, so Gopher was kind of post FTP, but pre HTTP. Uh, and, uh, um, it sort of had this sort of loose, it was like basically uh, folders and a little bit of hypertext linking, but no graphical kind of stuff. Um, and so, um, but then the web came around and um, and O'Reilly was uh, kind of first into that. And I, I worked on the the team that ended up building the first commercial website. It was, we were just calling it like a online magazine at the time hadn't really thought about the fact that it was kind of the first commercial website, <laughs> but we figured that it, we would probably need to support it uh, in some way. And it being a magazine, advertising seemed like the obvious way to go. Uh, and uh, yeah. What quantified it as the first commercial website? Was it because it was Ads. revenue generating? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Uh, up till then, up till then it was all, you know, mostly academic colleges and universities, people there just sort of building a website uh, about, you know. Themselves. It's, it's usually something scientific, you know, uh, and uh, um, or about, you know, technological uh, uh, things. Uh, there were a few, you know, sort of like arts websites and, and bands. Uh, my band was one of the first bands to, to be on the web, not quite the first first i don't think although we did uh build a website for our record label and we were the first record label on the on the web at the time and you know it was like th- there was a website that listed like new websites launched today you know and it have like three listings on it back when it was a finite countable <laughs> exactly, list of yeah. websites like, just e- just email bob when you launch a website and we'll put it and up we'll on put the, it up there i will put it up on the page you know uh it all seemed like you know uh, yeah, funny at the time. Uh, yeah, so um, so you so you were in this band called Orbit. You yes. were were you one of the founding members? Yep, yep, I yep. Started and there the were band. three of you, and you started your own record label. You just alluded to that. Y- yep, we did. Uh, um, we'd been playing. The other founder of the band, Paul, and I had been playing in Boston bands for years, and we we're just kind of frustrated and fed up with kind of the subservient nature of playing in a band and, and, and decided, you know what, screw this. We're going to start our own record label. We're going to go out and find other bands that we think are good. We're going to put out our own music and stop worrying about getting a record deal and kind of trying to be what we think that bands ought to be to get a record deal. And of course that was, 
exactly what record labels were looking for, it turns out. So within about <laughs> six months of starting the band and starting the record label, uh, um, uh, we got signed to A&M Records. Um, wow. Yeah. How did you know that you had a sound that you thought people wanted to hear? Uh, I didn't, I, I, we created the sound that I wanted to hear. <laughs> it was, I, you know, I, like I said, after playing in all these bands where it felt just felt like a sort of compromise and too, I don't know, contrived, uh, uh, you know, I wanted to do something that just sort of felt authentic and kind of raw and, and, uh, something that I felt like I could at least just sort of be proud of. Um, and that it was a, a big life lesson for me in general, uh, <laughs> in all things. So when you signed with the label, did that mean you were officially a full-time employee of the label and you could tour and write and perform without really having to worry about where's my next paycheck coming from? Is, is that how it works? No. <laughs> okay. <laughs> it's, it's more like a book publishing contract or something like that, where basically they say, uh, you know, you're not an employee, but we'll pay you, uh, to, you know, to create records for us. And, um, and ultimately that's a good thing. Cause if you're, if you were an employee, then they would, it's actually kind of how record labels are working a little bit more these days where they want a piece of, you know, when, when you play shows and when you, uh, sell t-shirts, they, you know, that what they call an all in deal, uh, where basically the label is just, there which is which is also kind of how record labels got started way back when when there really wasn't a difference between the record label and the producer and the manager you know it's kind of all one thing uh but but in the 90s at least uh no it was more like a, a book publishing deal where where uh you know we we got a um we we had the luck at the time that there were a lot of uh well, there were a lot of record labels at the time, but a lot of uh, the music industry was really changing. And so we got in a record label bidding war and and uh, managed to kind of ha kind of have our pick of, of a bunch of different record labels. And uh, we really liked the, the way that A&M was running their label. And um, uh, and and so we signed with them for a pretty favorable record deal with a, a three album uh, actually, it was a five album deal or something like that. But, uh, um, but yeah, but so, you know, we knew that, that if we continued delivering albums, we would get at least the amount of money that it said in our contract. <laughs> uh, uh, but in terms of like, um, you know, making a full living, we still needed to tour and sell records and all that kind of stuff. So, um, and do they, or does it, they own all of the rights to the records that you produced in perpetuity. So is that right? Or, or does, does that get structured differently? And the reason I'm asking is um, it feels like that was in the 90s, and that's a long time ago in technology years. Oh, yeah. And now there's Spotify and Apple Music and all these things. And I'm sure your songs and albums from Orbit are online and people oh, still yeah. listen to them. How does that ownership and... How does that work? Well, it's it's all very kind of complicated, and there are spreadsheets and algorithms that keep track of everything. But uh, in its simplest form, um, when you sell a 
physical copy of a, of a, of a CD or a record. And again, I mean, a lot of these sort of uh, paradigms kind of go back, you know, uh, mm-hmm. uh, then, uh, you know, the band makes a certain amount and the record label makes a certain amount, a certain percentage of that. However, it gets more complicated because there's also, uh, the rights to the songs on the album. So it's sort of the, the, the intellectual property of this music as opposed to the, what, you know, so that's called the mechanical is the, is the actual physical copy that you're buying. But then there are the, there's the, you know, publishing on the music that's on the CD. And then it gets, when it gets played on the radio, that's also different uh, stuff. So it's all very, very complicated. It's very complicated. And there are, uh, yeah, it's, it's complicated. So um, you, you uh, see a check from Spotify for like five pennies every other year or something uh, like, is it, is it in, like, is in, it kind of like that? Or? There are, there are, yeah. Uh, I, yeah, I don't know. We could do a whole podcast about how, how it works. <laughs> we won't uh, get into that. Yeah. But there, there are basically, uh, rights agencies that collect, money from uh uh spotify and um radio play and stuff so i get different checks from different places all of them for about you know seven dollars for various things Mm -hmm. (laughs) yeah so uh yeah but it's interesting to know about all of that i'm sure it informed how you ran subsequent businesses and and other aspects of your life as well uh yeah yeah i mean um I learned a lot playing in a band and putting together the people in the band and around the band and, and kind of, uh, you know, very focused on, uh, it, you don't really think about the business as a business when you're in a mm. band. It's more about the vibe and the, you know, all these things that are ultimately kind of branding, uh, kinds of things that, you know, like who, who who's it going to feel good to work with? Who's it going to look good to work with? Uh, you know, how, who can I work, you know, sit in a van with for six weeks at a time, um, and all that kind of stuff. So I learned a lot about, um, you know, uh, marketing and branding, but also sort of, uh, group dynamics and, and, uh, um, and a lot about contract law and intellectual (laughs) property as well. Uh, yeah. What was your highlight during your time with Orbit? Um, boy, you know, um, a lot of it sort of happens in retrospect. We, we, so prior to that, prior to, you know, that 1994, when we got signed kind of the, you know, the previous, uh, rock trend had been like hair metal bands. (laughs) And so, and then like Nirvana broke through and, Mm -hmm. and a lot of the stuff that I was actually listening to kind of broke through. And it was much more of a feeling like, of kind of being trying to be more authentic uh, uh, and a, a little bit sort of a, more of a, like a blue collar ethic, like less like about, you know, having this facade of crazy partying. Um, and so, you know, we kind of came in being from Boston and, and all that kind of stuff. There was kind of this like, uh, utilitarian aspect of things like, you know, we're not going to party our asses off and do all the drugs and, you know, uh, and we're going to just get in the van and like go play shows and, and be the best band that we can be. However, you know, we had some really great success. I, I fear that at the time we didn't 
absorb that enough. We didn't celebrate that enough uh, that that we uh, kind of took it as like, well, that's great. We, um, you know, uh, played on uh, MTV uh, um, or we got played on, you know, our video got played on MTV. Okay, what's the next thing? Or we went and performed on a show on a show on MTV. Uh, okay. What's the next thing? And we were kind of very on to the next thing, but there, I mean, we, we, we did the Lollapalooza tour in 1997 mm. and, uh, that, you know, felt, felt good. Uh, and, um, and, and at the time in the nineties, there were a lot of these like radio festival shows. Each seemed like each major radio station in each major market would have, uh, a festival kind of show, uh, at their, you know, whatever the big outdoor venue was. And bands like mine would just kind of go from these radio festival shows to one to the one, one to the next, to the next, to the next. And, you know, we had pockets of, of popularity, but, you know, and, 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 uh, I mean, we played one show in, uh, Miami, North of Miami, um, uh, to 20,000 people. You wow. Know? It was cool. like, you know, like, and all the people in the front are singing the, the, the songs, you know, along with us. And it was like, Incredible. whoa, this is, it's, it's, it's hard to kind of get too utilitarian about that. It's like, yeah, wow, this is, this is great. So, um, that, that kind of stuff's a highlight. So I, while, while you mentioned Lollapalooza 1997, I thought there must be, a poster online of what that looked like. And I looked it up and wow, you guys are playing with prodigy and yep. tricky and yep. Snoop. I guess he was called Snoop doggy dog back then. Yes. He still was doggy at the time. <laughs> <laughs> That's wonderful. Wow. 20,000 people is, is tool. certainly a tool. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And yeah. Corn, except uh, the, yes. The playlist or the post-it can't, didn't have the ability to put the R backwards. Maybe it wasn't <laughs> backwards back then. I don't know. <laughs> so now you're now you're the frontman for one, two, three astronaut. Uh-huh. I feel like there's I feel like there's a theme. Orbit, Lullabot, one, two, three astronaut. What's uh, what's the genesis of one, two, three astronaut? Well, I, you know, I wish it was more thematic. I mean, I, I think it is thematic, maybe because of its unintentionality. It's a, it's a, it's a sort of subliminal intentionality. Uh, I was born in 1969 and, and my mom, uh, brags about propping me up at, you know, five months old or whatever I was uh, to watch the moon landing. Uh, she says, you're going to be able to tell everybody you watch this, you know, and uh, <laughs> that, uh, I don't know that, that, that sort of like, um, kind of the, the hope and optimism of, of, uh, the space program, I think, you know, is, is something that has always been really kind of close to my heart, uh, and, and sort of the, the melding of that optimism with sort of the technology that's often been close to my heart, uh, as well. Um, but, uh, one, two, three astronaut, uh, my son, who's now 14, I think was probably two or three at the time. And he was trying to throw he was going to throw something up into the air and he was doing what he thought at the time was a countdown but instead of saying three two one blast off he said one two three astronaut and then threw this thing in the air and i said ah man i'm going to name a band that someday that's Uh, awesome and in the intervening 12 years 
uh, never came up with a better name and, uh, and didn't really think about its relationship to orbit and space and all that kind of stuff. Uh, and it really wasn't until about two or three months after we'd, um, been playing out, uh, with this, with this band name that it was like, I kind of realized like, Oh, I have a theme going. I guess that's okay. Yeah. I think that's cool. I think that's cool. So it feels like, um, at, at least to me, it feels like one, two, three astronaut is you going back to music after this career in technology. So you, like in my mind, you, you were a part of the music scene and orbit, and then you founded Lullabot and done some amazing things in the Drupal world. And now you're doing, um, you know, yonder and, and coaching, and you're also in a band. So the question is, how has the open source uh, mentality that you experienced in between these two bands and how has running numerous companies and products influenced your perspective on your, of your new band? Wow. Uh, that's interesting. Um, yeah. I mean, so I, I need to acknowledge just sort of the kind of disparate nature of these things that, that, arguably and 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 I might be the one to argue this but you know when I sort of think about it like having credibility in business and credibility as a songwriter seem mutually exclusive right <laughs> right <laughs> that, like you know you don't expect you know, you hear every so often that I don't know um uh, what's his name? The co-founder of Microsoft. Um, uh, Allen or yeah, Gates? yeah, who just died recently? Um, uh, is it uh, um, Paul is, Allen? Paul Sorry. Allen, right? Uh, Paul Allen's got a band, and you sort of assume like, eh. <laughs> 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 you know, like eh. right, like that's you, the first thing. You yeah, think. yeah, and uh, and you know, and likewise, I, I don't know. You you probably wouldn't go to like you know, slash for business advice, but, um, <laughs> but it's <guess> not, <laughs> you know, but I, but I, so, so it's been a little bit difficult kind of like, I don't know, feeling, uh, to kind of draw, pull these things together, uh, in, in my life, but they really are related. Like, um, you know, I really got into the, the creativity of, of, of building a a business and, and, um, you know, and in particular kind of, uh, gathering together groups of people to do great things, I think is something. Um, but, uh, but, but to get back more directly to your question, it's, it's been interesting because I, uh, um, kind of took a lot of that sort of, um, utilitarian attitude into building Lullabot, but as the company, but I also took that lesson of, I I need to celebrate the successes. I need to notice them. I feel like I went through this whole experience with, with orbit. Um, and you know, when all was said and done, we'd gotten dropped and, and uh, from the record label in about 2000, 2001, and we'd had all this success, but it didn't feel like success. And so I wanted to you know, kind of embrace the success and, and, and learn to kind of build, build off it. Um, and, and Lullabot became very successful, certainly much more successful than, than we would have imagined, uh, when we first started the company, although I have a very 
good imagination. <laughs> and, uh, 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 and, you know, and as such, I, I learned a lot of, uh, uh, leadership skills and, uh, um, and just became sort of more confident. I was also, uh, as I mentioned, a parent and, and there a lot, there's a lot about being a parent that, uh, is sort of built in with kind of leadership skills and, um, and leading. And I think with Orbit, I was kind of hesitant to, uh, to take a leadership position, to be too opinionated, uh, to be too, you know, um, preachy is probably not the quite the right word but it's something in that area uh uh but with this band um i don't know i kind of bring that with me it's i i i think i'm 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 writing more confidently and and kind of presenting uh a more confident more sort of opinionated uh perspective um than uh what was happening in the 90s and you're still being authentic and and making this music for yourself the way you think that it should be made and not for the audience, which is, I think, a wonderful thread to have in any creative work that you do. Yeah, I, I think you need to balance that. You need to... The word I use in business is sustainability, right? You need to look after your business well enough so, so that your business can remain a business, uh, That that you may want to be true to your employees and, and, uh, you know, really focus on culture and make it a great place to work. And so having, uh, you know, ang- uh, f- uh, difficult clients is something that you want to avoid, but you need to have clients and some of them are going to be difficult. Uh, and so, you know, the, the from the point of sustainability, if you want to really make your employees happy, they need to continue p- to be employees. They need to continue to have jobs and you need to find uh, the work for them. Uh, and so sometimes you need to kind of, you know, find sort of creative ways to uh, make it kind of be a win-win uh, and and keep the business in business. And the same thing with making art uh, as, as a um, consumable, you know, something that you want to put out there, uh, you know, th- Ultimately, I think it's best to drive it from yourself to 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 find a perspective where I could get excited about. I I like to consume things and go to shows and and listen to music and get inspired by it. And and so, how can I cr- try to create that that would inspire that in other people um, as it as I'm able to in, inspire myself? That's the the hope, at least. So, you know, I think sometimes when you talk about this idea of kind of authenticity and uh, kind of you know just do it for yourself, it can get kind of, uh, I think it can imply a certain sort of, uh, uncommerciality, you know, sort of inaccessibility, uh, to it. And I think both in business and in art, um, you, you end up kind of selling yourself short, um, if you don't just acknowledge, you know, what people like about what you do or what people could like about what you do and, and, um, yeah, that kind of thing. So, um, yeah. One last question about one, two, three astronaut. Are you going on tour anytime soon? (laughs) Well, here, here in, (laughs) this is the sustainability commerciality thing. Like, uh, 
nobody knows about the new band yet. Like I, I in retrospect, I probably should have called it Orbit. Uh, um, creatively, at least, uh, you know, I I was kind of the creative lead in Orbit, uh, and uh, am, am am the creative lead in this group. Um, I've always really um, uh, thought of myself as a collaborator and felt like I really needed to collaborate with people. And so I'm, I've, I've been uncomfortable with the idea of like doing a solo thing or something like that. Uh, um, cause I really value the input of, of people around me. Um, but, um, uh, nobody knows about the new band. <laughs> if I'd called it Orbit, maybe at least we could have built off that. Uh, and we don't have a record deal or or whatever the current equivalent of it is. I'm still trying to figure it out, um, having taken a, a basically a 15 year break from the music business. <laughs> um, and uh, but you know we're playing around uh, in in New England and and trying to get down to New York City and and stuff like that. And the people. Um, that have have seen us have been interested and excited about this brand new band uh, that they've never heard of before, <laughs> and so you know. But it's it's kind of uh, slow going to gain fans one by one. Um, we've got an EP that's out on Spotify, um, and if anybody who's listening is has if we've wet their appetite, one two three astronaut dot com is where you can find. Uh, hear our music, see our music video, uh, and um, uh, and find links off to Spotify and Apple Music and all that kind of stuff. Um, and the yeah. single's called Friction, is it? Yeah, yeah. That on the on the EP, uh, that's what it that that's the the title of the EP and the first song on the EP. Um, and the video that we did uh, is is all the friction. Um, but we're working on a new album right now, and I feel like I ought to be sending it out to to record labels or um, sort of putting an infrastructure around the band. But um, mostly I'm just focused on trying to get the right guitar sounds, (laughs) 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 which really has very little to do with all. I I feel like it's a little bit of navel gazing, but uh, yeah. Well, I wish you the best of luck with that. I'm uh, it's interesting to talk about, um, how 15 years can make a difference to your perspective, I think. Yeah. So let's go back to what happened after Orbit. Um, You basically co-founded the company Lullabot, which from what I can tell is the first fully distributed and remote company that ever existed. Am I going out on a limb by saying that? (laughs) (laughs) Um, Uh, well, it's, it's really hard to gauge those things. Um, uh, because especially at the time, uh, there, you know, you get like freelancers that are working together, uh, that don't have an office and uh, is that a company? Uh, Mm. you know, we, we, um, I think we were the first fully distributed agency, uh, services business. I, um, um, automatic started right, right around this, but maybe a year or two before us. Uh, and they were a distributed company, but a, a product company, their, their product being WordPress and, uh, wordpress.com in particular is their commercial product. But obviously, um, people know WordPress is an open source project. Um, <clears throat> and, um, yeah, yeah, but we started in 2006 and 
I think much like uh, Automatic um, sort of modeled ourselves around the um, incredible productivity that we were seeing happening around open source projects and the ways that people were, developers in particular, were, were uh, collaborating online. Um, so it was fully intentional to be distributed in a remote right from the get-go. <laughs> Uh, yeah. Uh, I mean, so <laughs> I, I met Matt Westgate, uh, through Drupal.org. Uh, you know, I, I, I just got over my head with my first Drupal project as probably most people do and, uh, <laughs> uh, needed someone to help bail me out. And I was asking questions in the IRC channels and finding a whole lot of, uh, snark, uh, and, um, and, you know, that's very defeating and frustrating to mm. kind of, you know, have people just sort of make fun of you as you ask questions. You know, this guy, Matt Westgate, it was every so often he'd answer a question in IRC and he seemed really helpful. And I'm posting also on the message boards and, and, uh, I, th I think I found it at one point. I did a, a a search through Drupal.org and managed to find our, our very first interaction. And, you know, I was asking some just sort of random question. It was probably about the e-commerce package in Drupal at the time, which was, which was Matt's, uh, project. Um, and, uh, and he was super helpful. And eventually I cornered him and said, can I get you on the phone? I, if I, I I've done the math and even if I pay you to just answer my questions for me, I've got so many questions that I think it would, you know, right now I'm just Googling and searching and, and researching is, you know, most of this project. And so if you could just point me in the right direction, uh, then it would save me a whole lot of money. And if I gave you some of that money that I'm saving, I would still be <laughs> saving money. And, yeah. uh, uh, and that's how we kind of first met. And, 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 but he lived in Ames, Iowa. Uh, and I lived in Rhode Island as I still do. It just seemed to be such a revelation uh, um, to be able to find this information in the form of Matt Westgate uh, that I, I was saying to him the whole time. I'm like, listen, we need to we need to start a company. People need this information that you have and that you're giving to me. And and I think that, uh, you know, if we could help the world understand Drupal, understand how to use Drupal, um, uh, there, that there would be value just simply in that aside from actually, you know, building websites for people, uh, just to, to tell people how to build websites, right. uh, would be, would be valuable. And that's, uh, ultimately how Lullabot got started. Um, yeah. So Matt lived, it, it, so it, again, to go back and answer your question more directly, Matt lived in Iowa. I lived in Rhode Island. So we were distributed. Um, and then we started finding more people, uh, we went to our first uh, Drupal conference kind of as a company um, in uh, Vancouver in 2006, in like February of 2006. And lo and behold, several people came up to us and said, oh, wow, you guys are really cool. What you're doing? Are you hiring? And we thought, what? <laughs> like hiring? Uh, uh, we hadn't even thought out that far. Um, and then we hired a, a few people Uh um, who were also living in other areas of, of uh, the United States and pretty quickly in Canada as well. And, and, uh, and then that was it. We were a distributed company. So, yeah. What a great origin story. It, um, I think I understand now 
the kind of the um the desire to educate people about Drupal through Drupalize Me because Drupalize Me came out of Lullabot, right? That's a separate company. You guys started that and there was training. There's, you know, yeah. the best training in the internet is for Drupal, in my opinion, comes from Drupalize Me. So is that is that true? Is that yes. part of like yeah, yeah. When we we start we started with se- kind of several different things at, at first. Uh, um, when we set up the company, we thought of ourselves as a consulting company uh, that we knew kind of from experience that if Matt and I just took projects directly, it would take one project, two projects before we would be unavailable and not able to help people to do more Drupal. And, and so in order to, you know, with this mission of we need to help people do more Drupal, uh, being developers wouldn't be necessarily the best usage of that, of that, you know, uh, uh, the best aim towards that goal. Uh, so we started doing a podcast. Uh, we started doing Drupal, uh, workshops, um, and, um, and then, you know, put out this idea of consulting, but between the podcast and, and we would use the podcast to promote the workshops, uh, we really got known pretty quickly as the Drupal education company. Uh, and, um, there wasn't really so much reason to talk about our consulting work on the podcast because with that, we were pretty full up. Uh, and so, um, we would oftentimes get people approaching us saying, listen, you guys seem to be really like experts in this Drupal stuff. And I know that you do all these workshops and you guys do all this Drupal education, but do you think we could like hire you to just like kind of help guide our project? Like kind of like maybe as a, I don't know, I'll call it a consultant. <laughs> and we realized like, ah, like we're not really, you know, our marketing is uh, not quite, it's a little too leaning towards all the education stuff. Um, eventually we, we started, you know, doing full-fledged development, uh, basically out of necessity, the, the Drupal market was growing so quickly and a lot of companies, uh, you know, sort of built their foundation off of Lullabot, uh, bringing them in, you know, Lullabot taking this position as a sort of the technical lead consultant for these projects, but they, the development still needed to happen. Uh, and so we would kind of go out and find all these Drupal companies uh, and then, you know, and then they would kind of take off from there. And so as those companies got more busy, we, it became harder to find companies to do the work for all these projects that we had. So we, you know, within a, a couple of years of, of starting, uh, we, we started, truly doing development and, and calling ourselves uh, a development company. But, uh, but we continue to do workshops. Um, uh, eventually in 2008, market made a big shift in particular. I think that there was, it was more of a, um, a lot of the companies that we were working with were the, were bi- really big companies and, and the way that the finances tend to work around these companies is kind of slow and delayed. So although there was this sort of market crash kind of thing that happened uh, um, in, in 2008, a lot of the companies were just, they still, their budgets were still there. They still had the budgets to do, you know, development projects, but w- they were trying to cut the corner so they wouldn't approve 
things like budgets for people to travel and to go to education uh, events to learn about it. So we started doing DVDs. Remember DVDs? Oh, wow. Uh, we, so we started uh, creating Drupal training DVDs uh, and selling those, and those did pretty well. Um, and then um, when the next version of Drupal came out, we realized that our DVDs were all going to be obsolete and we'd need to make enti- an entirely new library of DVDs and with open source moving so quickly and stuff like that, we realized that, um, and, and also, you know, the reason that I, I joke about remember DVDs is because the world m- has moved to streaming. Um, and so did we, uh, so we took, uh, all our DVDs and that became the original basis of uh of what became uh Drupalize Me, the, the became the original library of Drupalize Me and then we started building additional content um on top of that. And it didn't need to be an entire DVD. We could just kind of do a, you know, uh basically what's a, a patch video that's like, <laughs> hey, now that you've watched that, here's the new stuff the in this module. Stuff. Here's the new yeah. things in this new version and and kind of keep it more evergreen. Um so yeah. So Drupal Drupalize Me is still out there and still doing great. Uh if anybody uh wants to um keep up their Drupal knowledge, it's a, a great place to start learning Drupal or uh or just make sure that you're you're keeping current. Your your experience with distributed companies and distributed products um as a result of those companies is is vast. And so in the last three years or so, you guys started something internally at Lullabot called Yonder. That's now its own company that you founded, and it's changed 10.7, honestly, because the I think I thought for a long time that 10.7 would be a company that was always in an office and would always be together, you know, physically present with each other. But now we're completely distributed, and I think part of it has to do with all the literature that was out there and the the podcast and the um, the website and everything that you've been talking about that really got me seriously thinking about, you know, becoming a distributed company. And things have changed, right? There are more distributed companies now than there ever have been. And I think the question I'm kind of leaning towards here is, is asking you whether you think there's going to be a critical mass, a threshold of the number of organizations that end up fully adopting being a distributed company. And I'm not, I know there's going to be a continuum, right? There's going to be always physical and then hybrid where some folk are remote and some folk are physically in the location. And then completely distributed. And I'm curious about whether you think uh, there's going to be a plateau or whether like you think there's an extreme, we're going to be all distributed in the future and we're going to have flying cars and we'll only use those cars when we need to go somewhere and we won't really need to go <laughs> anywhere. Right? Like, wh- where, where do you think we're going for distributed work? I think uh, ultimately sort of pragmatism will, will drive us wherever we're going. You know, <laughs> you know, it's, it's sort of fun to think about it kind of like, oh, yeah, everybody should do this. But um, again, going back to that sustainability thing, like companies need to stay in business and oftentimes they do what they know. Uh, they do what they know works for them. 
So uh, legacy companies, com- you know, these, uh, again, c- kind of going back to the Fortune 500 companies, they know what works for them. They've figured it out over all of these years. You know, IBM's been around since 50s, 40s, 30s, something like that. A long uh, time. And, uh, um, and, you know, it's kind of difficult to sort of change. The, the, the interesting thing is that these companies know this <laughs> and they have departments uh, uh, of, of the, the, the change department. That's what they call themselves. The, 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 you know, these people who are like change agents within the company acknowledging that there's sort of this, I wouldn't call it lethargy, but, but, but it, it is uh, um, inertia in that inertia also happens for things that are at rest, want to stay at rest, right? As things want right. in motion, want to stay in motion. Things that are at rest also want to stay at rest. This exactly. Is, that is also exactly. inertia. So what we're finding, I, what I've found is that, you know, the, the companies uh, that are distributed tend to be younger companies, uh, companies that oftentimes started this way and are growing as, as a distributed company automatic, as I mentioned, continues to grow. Uh, but there are also companies like, um, Shopify, um, whose, uh, you know, main office is in Ottawa, um, Ontario, Canada, they have a, 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 a like clear central office, but mostly the company is distributed or they kind of define themselves as remote first. GitHub is another company that that kind of defines themselves as remote first. Um, uh, but now, you know, GitHub is part of Microsoft. Um, um, and so, you know, and 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 and. Part of what Microsoft is buying and buying GitHub is the knowledge, the, the perspective on how this can work. <laughs> how do you make remote work work? So I don't know. Um, uh, you know, it happens a little bit in fits and starts. Um, uh, the companies that are doing uh, that are remote first or fully distributed are usually really excited about it. Uh, there are some requirements of of the 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 actual mechanics of remote work the architecture of remote work kind of requires autonomy right you can't look over people's shoulders in order for them to work and autonomy requires respect and the respect requires trust and so uh some companies have tried this without autonomy, respect, and trust. Uh, and they usually fail pretty quickly. Um, but other companies sort of go in with this kind of, uh, testing kind of experimental attitude towards it. Well, I guess we need to, uh, trust people. We need to, we need to give them autonomy if they're, if they're going to, uh, work from home and, and, uh, and they do. Um, and people rise to the occasion and they find that when people are, are trusted, they become trustable. When they are respected, they become respectable. It doesn't always work with everyone, but um, it tend, you know, there tends to be a little bit of sifting that happens. And then, uh, you know, the people that are doing it, like I said, they get really excited about it. Um, just from that perspective of, of um, self-management and um, 
all those kinds of things that that go with it. So I, you know, I would like to see more of it happen in the future. Uh, I'm available to anyone that wants to talk about <laughs> figuring it out. Uh, and, and, you know, this is sort of currently my mission and the mission certainly of, of yonder uh, is helping people to figure that out and talking to people who have figured it out and are trying to figure it out and, um, and sharing what we are are finding with everyone. We do a podcast and post articles on the website and stuff like that. We've got a mailing list. We haven't hit that tipping point yet, right? I mean, we haven't hit that point where uh, all of those Fortune 500 companies are, are, are champing at the bit to, to try to figure it out. Um, uh, but I do think it, it, a lot of it is sort of generational, uh, the definition of, of connectedness and productivity have, have changed, uh, especially for this, the generation that's growing up with productivity and connectedness in their pocket. And, you know, the idea of needing to go into an office so that you can type things to people, like, doesn't really make sense, <laughs> it's kind of ridiculous. you know, or that you could talk to people doesn't make sense or that you could see people even doesn't, doesn't quite make, make sense. sense. Uh, yeah, yeah. you know, obviously this doesn't translate for all types of work, all types of jobs, uh, you know, doctors, uh, you know, more tactile professions. Uh, however, you know, we are seeing, uh, uh, even, um, in the, that medical realm, you know, th- there is a fair amount of talking to people about how they can be helped uh, uh, that can happen, you know, well prior to to a, a medical professional needing to lay their hands on someone. Um, and so, you know, even some of that kind of stuff is starting to move into a more virtual realm um, and people can kind of work from wherever. Yeah. When I, when I think of distributed work and remote work, um, I always think of it as the antithesis to Gary Cole's character in Office Space. You know, the guy who walked up to the cubes with his suspenders <laughs> and his tie and his thick glasses and just needed to make sure that everybody was in their cube doing what he was paying them to do. Right. And just like you said, the more you respect your people and the more respectably they will behave and the more autonomy you give them, the better off it is for everyone. Well, and it's a, it's a kind of a human, it's not even a human nature thing. I mean, it goes back to sort of like animal pack behavior, you know, having the leader of the pack kind of you, you like <laughs> the lion king, right? You know, <laughs> there's the 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 Mufasa, Mufasa right? Uh, uh uh standing up on the rock to look down over the over the lions to make sure like we're all good. Are we all here? This is all good. Okay, I'm in charge. <laughs> I know I'm in charge because I can see everyone. And and then you think about, you know, kind of the industrial revolution, these giant factory floors with the management office raised up, you know, raised up so that they could just look and see everyone. There's, there, it is a calming thing to be able to look over everyone. Uh, you feel like, okay, I know what's happening, but the truth is you don't know what's happening. <laughs> exactly. And it's maybe calming for the, for the boss, it's, for the person it's a in little charge. Bit of a, it's just the opposite. It's a false, yeah. It's the yeah. It's sort of a, a false, uh, uh, effect and, and, and right. And, and, and going back to that, this idea of, um, 
you know, kind of that factory worker mentality, you know, or, or uh, office space, right? I mean, the, the whole thing with office space is that, you know, they're not really being productive. They're not, they don't really like At their jobs. All. It's about putting on this facade uh, and kind of playing this game in the office of, of caring, uh, of, of trusting, uh, of respect, you you don't have that facade anymore, um, and and so it kind of gets all broken down, um, uh, and 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 hopefully, in trying to rethink it, uh, in order to to work uh, remotely, we kind of rethink that relationship because the truth is, people need those jobs. Right. Like, right. Uh, you know, there's this right. kind of this this sort of like resentment of your boss and resentment of your company. When you think about that, that sort of office space kind of uh, paradigm, you know, and and uh, um, but the truth is, like, people need jobs companies need this sustainability this goes back to that like we we need to continue like you're not going to get paid if if you don't if the work doesn't happen if the company doesn't get paid for the work happening and being done if you know if things don't progress to don't move forward if there's no productivity um and so you know to kind of kind of redefine that and get everyone involved that's really what I get excited about. Um, uh, remote work, I think, is a way of kind of rethinking the relationship of workers to work in the future and, and the relationship of managers to, to uh, workers and, um, and, and leadership and, and all that kind of stuff. And, and I, I think uh, that stuff will translate to all, all sorts of workplaces, uh, even the ones that can't go remote. Uh, because they, you know, because they've got these more tactile, um, professions. Um, uh, and, and that's, that's, I think that that's the thing, uh, that's even more exciting than the remote work is kind of the mechanics of it, but, uh, but kind of rethinking the way that work works, uh, is, is really interesting and exciting. And you're writing a book about it as well. I, I've been meaning to ask you how that's how is that going? <laughs> uh, also in fi- also in fits <laughs> and starts, it's kind of sitting and has been sitting for a while now. Um, as I try to figure out if there's a a market for it, uh, if if uh, if people get excited about it and as i get more excited about playing music, uh, it just kind of sits. But uh, hopefully. Um, in in a perfect world, I'll I'll finish this new album for this band and and kind of have that uh, obsession out of the way. And as the weather starts to warm up for the for the summer in New England, uh, uh, maybe I'll start focusing back on the book again. It's uh, I, I have a feeling I, it wouldn't take too much to to shape it up into something uh, that would be helpful for people. So yeah, we look forward to reading it. One last question before we wrap up. Um, you've read a lot of books, and I would love to hear if you have a recommendation for a single book that I should pick up or maybe that our listeners should pick up and not miss out on. Hmm. Well, there's so many. Um, there are. Only one, please. Oh, man. <laughs> I'm just going to say the first one that came to mind. Um <laughs> I'm gonna, I'm gonna mention some others though. 
three books have kind of come to mind. Um, uh, the One Minute Manager, this is like a classic management book, uh, but ultimately really kind of kind of teaches the lesson that uh, that managers shouldn't really manage that, 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 you know, that you need to, you need to work, let your people manage themselves. Uh, and then the other book that came to mind was, uh, a, a, even a classic or classic, how to, uh, make friends and influence people by Dale Carnegie, uh, which is, you know, some of these books seem, uh, you know, like old now to touch, but that one just, I think the, the real theme of that one is just reminding people, uh, as managers, as leaders, as people, uh, that, that really, um, we all just want to matter. Uh, we want to, we want to be important. We want to be, uh, um, we want to matter, you know, and, and, uh, and I think realizing that, uh, kind of builds a certain empathy, um, and, and a way of, uh, um, connecting to people, um, uh, that, that, uh, you know, recognizes that, um, I think, you know, initially when that book came out, I think there was a, sort of this, this feeling that you could kind of like start to exploit that understanding, uh, as a salesperson or something like that. But ultimately it comes down to authenticity. Neither of those books though were the first book that came to my mind. The first book that came to my mind was, uh, was the book <laughs> Tribal Leadership, which is, uh, not well named. Yeah, I think it be the the it becomes a little bit it, when you read the book, it you understand it at first, but it doesn't quite. But ultimately, uh, that book is about finding a higher purpose for yourself and your business in particular, uh, and trying to sort of strive beyond uh, the the sort of day to day stuff <laughs> of being a business. Yeah. And, you know, I mean, the, these are things, this really, you know, rung true to me because playing in a band and making music and trying to, and, you know, with the goal of inspiring people or the goal of trying to connect to people that you may never meet uh, is in itself sort of a higher purpose. You know, I, I tried to sort of take that attitude to Lullabot when I started that business um, and and find ways to, you know, make an impact on the world. You know, we should go teach people about Drupal. You know, Drupal should be more popular is ultimately sort of a, you know, um, a higher mission than, hey, let's start a company. I think people need websites uh, and, and we can build websites um, and, you know, and let's just build websites, you know, like with as cheap and as awful as possible so that we can, you know, <laughs> maximize our return on investment. We will invest as little as possible and charge as much money as we can and try to cheat all of our clients. You know, uh, that's sort of a, uh, uh, obviously the sort of the flip side of having sort of a higher purpose, higher goal, you know, in the end you're, you're, you're building websites either way. Uh, um, right. Uh, but ultimately one, I think, will pull people towards you, whereas the other uh, tends to sort of repel people away. Um, and uh, um, and that book is is great for kind of reminding us of that and, and putting some, I don't know, kind of rules and metrics around it and, uh, and stuff like that. So uh, I recommend that one. I believe uh, I, I tend to be an audiobook person, uh, being an audio person in general. Uh, uh, um, uh, but I believe that the, the audiobook for that, at least, uh, a few years ago when I, I, um, I, I found it, I could not find the audiobook on, 
on Audible um, and and in searching for it, realized that that was because the tribal leadership people uh, were keeping that for free if you sign up for their mailing list or something like that. So uh, for anybody that's interested uh, in that book and and uh, particularly if you're an audiobook person, you can get it for free. Awesome. We'll, we'll link to all of the books you've mentioned online in the transcript of this episode. And um, we'll try to make sure we link to the free version too. Yeah. Yeah. Jeff, thank you so much for spending your time with me. I really enjoyed talking with you and, uh, and listening to everything you had to say. Well, thanks, Yvonne. Thanks for having me on. I, um, <laughs> I'm never quite sure what I'm going to talk about with any given person. And, and, and when you invited me on, I thought, boy, you know, I haven't really been keeping up with Drupal very well. I, I'm going to talk about Drupal for long, but, uh, um, but I hope all, all of this information is helpful to people. And, um, and if anybody wants to get in touch with me, um, jjeff.com is, is my, uh, website for mostly for my business coaching there. Um, but you can find the contact form to, to get in touch with me there and, and you can find me as J Jeff on all the various social medias. Thank you very much. Jeff is, as he said, online on jjeff.com. And of course, be sure to check out Yonder's website at yonder.io. And make sure you give his band 123Astronaut a listen as well. 123Astronaut.com. All of that will be in the show notes, um, in the transcript online. You've been listening to the 107 Podcast. Find us online at 107.com slash podcast. If you have a second, do send us a message. We love hearing from you. Our email address is podcast at 107.com. Until next time, this is Ivan Stegich. Thank you for listening. <laughs>